0: Please stand as you are able for today's Old Testament lesson from the book of Exodus, chapter 18, verses 13 through 27. The next day Moses sat as judge for the people, while the people stood around him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make known to them the statutes and instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You should represent the people before God, and you should bring their cases before God, Teach them the statutes and instructions, and make known to them the way they are to go and the things they are to do. You should also look for able men among all the people, men who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate honest gain. Set such men over them as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them sit as judges for the people at all times." Let them bring every important case to you, but decide every minor case themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will go to their home in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men from all Israel and appointed them as heads over the people, as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all times. Hard cases they brought to Moses, but any minor case they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went off to his own country. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks.
1: Well, how good it is uh, to be in worship with each of you. Uh, we're so glad you're here on this beautiful sabbath day and a special word of those to who are uh, online with us it's always an honor to worship with you and to share god's word with you and praise and worship and so we welcome you wherever you are it's a great joy to be with you in your homes or wherever you happen to be uh, today i want to begin by mentioning a couple of things that i think are worthy of our celebration and thanksgiving and the first is some of you may have heard that our partnership with healing housing that was actually started six years ago by one of our own members, Olivia Smith, and now the executive director is Tracy Levine, who's also a member here, uh, for transitioning women uh, who've been through difficult times. We have two homes. The Healing Housing uh, won the Community Impact Award at the Center for Nonprofit Awards on Thursday night at Belmont University. And to God be the glory for this. We're so grateful. And and I also want to thank you because so many of you are engaged in this particular ministry and volunteering, and it's just an incredible... Uh, effort, and God has blessed it in a, in a magnificent way. And the second thing is that yesterday in Haney Hall, we had uh, an immigration conference where we, had, we were surrounded by 30 booths of people who are doing great things for our friends who have relocated in Nashville, Tennessee from all over the world. And we had them from all over the world yesterday. And there was a spirit uh, of Christ here that was just incredible. And to see kingdom people at work in this way, uh, it's just a, a marvelous uh, testimony uh, to the work of Christ, I think, in our midst. And I want to thank our immigration task force and particularly our people too, uh, Ani and Stephanie and others who participated and led so well yesterday. It was a tremendous tremendous event and for your presence today we're grateful. If you're visiting with us today you may not know but this is the last message today in our series on deliverance or a series you may call the series that would never end. Uh, (laughs) We started on Sunday August the 14th and this is the 11th and final message on the first half of the book of Exodus or as our Hebrew friends call it the book of Shemot which is the book of names. We're going to return and think about the last half in January, February of 2023. And we're gonna do a series on the 10 words, the 10 commandments. So we look forward to finishing the book uh, after Christmas and uh, I appreciate your prayers as we prepare for that. So the section, Paula, that you've read for us today is a part of that section we've been talking about the last two weeks, the wilderness season in the lives of the Hebrew people. It's a transitional phase between Egypt and Canaan. It's between bondage and deliverance. It's between promise and fulfillment. And that liminal space, as we call it, frankly, is tough sledding for the Israelites. When the cultural landscape changes, it demands that we adjust, that we adapt in ways that may be different from our past. I think those kinds of transitional phases demand of us learning, relearning, and in some cases, yes, unlearning. Eric Hoffer said those who have stopped learning find themselves equipped for a world that no longer exists. Todd Bolsinger, our friend who's written Canoeing the Mountains and also Tempered Resilience, we were on a Zoom recently when he said, Davis, we cannot go faster than the pace of learning. And if you're a disciple, that's a part of our DNA. The word disciple in the Greek language, what does it mean? It means learner. It means student. Mark Twain put it like this. It ain't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. I think we have a word for that today. It's called misinformation, disinformation, and it's running rampant sometimes. Confirmation bias, rampant sometimes. And so the Hebrew people in this uncertain, unfamiliar territory have a leader who is now leading them, namely Moses, without a map. He's unsure of where he's going and how long it will take to get there. Some of you who have been on vacations with children, preschoolers, understand that the most annoying thing that happens on a family vacation is on the way in between when from the back seat you hear, are we there yet? I remember several years ago, our son Andrew was here at 945 at the service when Andrew and Haley were small. About the 10th time on the way to the coast, they ask, are we there yet? I finally just said, yes, we passed there two hours ago, but I was enjoying driving so much, I decided just to keep going and thus endeth the complaint. But it's exhausting. But can you imagine for a moment what it must have been like to hear, are we there yet for 40 years? Are we there yet? I think we're living in a kind of space in between right now, aren't we, in what we call the post-COVID world. Things are not what they were, and we're not sure that they ever will be what they were. And sometimes some of us want to go back. I want to go back sometimes to 2019 as though the last three years never happened. But then that's not really an option, is it? We're in between. In those kinds of seasons, I've noticed a syndrome that can sometimes develop within us, a chronic case of nostalgia. Nostalgia can become a cage that keeps us from living fully in the present. I want to go back. It's similar to the back to Egypt syndrome of the Hebrew people. Brene Brown, many of you have read some of her material, says, and I quote, nostalgia is a form of comparison. Think about how often we compare our lives to a memory that our nostalgia has so completely edited that it never really existed. It's what we mean when we talk of the good old days, but the good old days weren't always so good. One of the most beautiful songs I think I've ever heard, maybe you too would agree, is Paul McCartney's song, Yesterday. You know that song? Paul McCartney called it the most complete song I have ever written. I used to think he wrote it for his ex-girlfriends. He did not. He wrote the song yesterday for his mother who died when he was 14. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now it seems as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. That's a great song. It's just really bad theology. (laughs) You can't live in yesterday unless you're willing to miss out on God today. I discovered a while back in ministry that God can never bless us where we were God can only bless us where we are. Sometimes in nostalgia we live in yesterday. Sometimes I've known people who live in utopia someday. And Jesus says, this is the day. Now is the hour. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it and be glad in it. We're not guaranteed of tomorrow, but we have today. The Israelites were expecting when they left Egypt a land of milk and honey. And what did they get? Whew, wilderness. And the wilderness actually made Egypt look better than it was. But in between, the biggest change was not in geography. It was in cardiology. It's the heart that changes in the leader. And it begins with the heart of the leader. In chapter 18, isn't it interesting that the role of Moses shifts from deliverer to delegator? That's an important shift. Now, I want to say two or three things about leadership in which you might find some potholes, and let's think of this together. The first of all, I've, I've noticed that sometimes the tendency of leadership is to take way too much on ourselves. Now, I'm preaching to the choir today. You all are the choir. We're in Williamson County. You are supremely blessed with gifts of leadership. Your capacity for world change, is off the charts. But I've noticed that sometimes I do this too. We operate by the adage, if you want something done right, do it yourself. And there's a problem with that. The problem with that mantra is it limits capacity, divine and human capacity. We wind up when we operate by that maxim creating spectators rather than making disciples. Without meaning to, without intending to, what we do when we live by that mantra is we actually minimize the gifts of others which also in turn narrows the mission and witness of the church. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul said it like this. The church is the body of Christ. It's a very organic analogy. And you may be a knee or an ankle or maybe a pinky. Maybe you're a little toe. I don't know what you are. But what I do know is that the body is incomplete without the use of your gift in the mission. And there's another tendency that I've discovered in leaders, in myself as well, that whenever we encounter unfamiliar territory, we tend to fall back on what we know and do what we've always done. The seven last words of the church, we've never done it that way before. And occasionally, just occasionally, it takes some outside help to try to do things a little differently. And such was the case for Moses. In fact, the the help that Moses received came from an unexpected source. It came from a non-Jew. It came from a non-believer, a Midianite, whose name was Jethro. He happened to be Moses' father-in-law. In the text prior to Paula, what you just read, Jethro comes out to the wilderness He's heard that the Hebrews now are out of slavery, and he brings Jochebed, the wife of Moses, and the two boys, Gershom and Eliezer. He's been keeping an eye on them while Moses is dodging Pharaoh's bullets. And when they're once free, then father-in-law brings the family, deposits them back with their dad. They have a little family reunion. There's a lot of kissing and hugging. And after that, Moses and Jethro go into the tent of meeting, which may have been the tabernacle, And Moses gives his witness to his father-in-law about what has happened, what God has done for the Hebrew slaves. And Jethro comes bringing some counsel. The next morning before Jethro packs his bags to go back to Midian, he's doing a little people watching and he notices that there's a single file line about a mile long. He, He can't see the front of the line, But he walks those 15 minutes and finds that his son-in-law is seated on a rock. And one by one, this line of people is coming to get advice from him. And Jethro knows this is unsustainable. And so Jethro takes him aside. Uh, By the way, if you didn't know, Jethro is the first consultant in the Bible. A consultant is someone who saves his client almost enough to pay his fee but there's only so much manna and quail that you can pay to the counselor. And so Jethro sees this problem. Moses is doing all the ministry himself, and it's wearing him out. And what's interesting is it's not only wearing Moses out, get this, it's wearing the people out. You ever get worn out by your preacher? They're waiting, the people are waiting all day just to have five minutes of Moses. And it's unsustainable. It reminds me of Priscilla and Aquila in the New Testament, friends of St. Paul, fellow tent makers, lay leaders, who after hearing preacher Apollos preach, they took him aside, not because he wasn't a great orator, but he needed some theological guidance. His preaching was not christ centered. To take someone aside, what does that mean? It means that you're not going to embarrass them in front of the group. They won't publicize the conflict. They do as Matthew 18 commands. They go directly to the person, and that's what Jethro does. That's what family does, and the church is a family. Now, I want to pause it there and offer just a little advice, and this is free of charge. You need to be careful how you advise your (laughs) in-laws. I mean, it usually works better if you wait for them to ask. And I know this by experience. It helps to have a relationship of trust before you come and offer your help. (laughs) I've discovered, maybe you have, that sometimes unsolicited help is not so helpful. For example, I tried this with my son-in-law last week. I want him to be a little bit more biblical. And so I sent him a life verse that I want him to make his life verse. This is Exodus 18, 24. It's in the book. Uh, I said, Zach, what do you think? He hung up on me. (laughs) I want you to notice how Jethro does it. He starts with a question. That's just like Jesus. Peter Drucker once said, my greatest strength as a consultant is to be ignorant and ask questions. The greatest leaders that I know in the world do the same thing. Bishop Bob Spain did that. Bishop Joe Pennell does that. Here's the question. What is this that you're doing for the people? Asked Jethro. Why are you doing this all by yourself while the people stand around all day? And Moses says, because the people need me. I'm a little suspicious at that point. Have you ever noticed that sometimes leaders need the people more than the people need the leader? The people need me, they come to inquire of God, they bring their issues, seeking guidance, and I help them apply God's law to their lives. And that sounds completely reasonable, but he's doing it like he always has done it, and it's not working. And Jethro, out of concern for Moses, says, son, it's too much. You're gonna run out of gas. You're gonna burn out, it's too much for you. And then he says, what will become of the people? Now that's interesting because he's no longer concerned about Moses because of Moses is running out of gas, he's worried about the people. You know what that means? That means that when the heart of a spiritual leader grows weary and weak, the community is in jeopardy. Moses is trying to do it all by his lonesome. And you know as well as I do that he who wants to do everything we'll likely accomplish nothing steve jobs you remember steve jobs in supervising his direct reports would often begin the meeting by asking his direct reports what are you not going to do this week That was his way of refocusing them because deciding what you're not going to do is as important as deciding what you are going to do. The hardest decisions I've ever had to make are not between good and bad. They're between good and best. There are moments where leaders have to prioritize the priorities And this is what Jethro is helping Moses as his consultant, his father-in-law. And after the question, here's the counsel. Son, your job is to represent the people before God, to lift their needs before God. You're to teach them. You're to instruct them in terms of God's ways. But to do this, for you to do the main thing, you need help. You can't do everything. So choose people Here's the criterion. Who fear God, who are trustworthy, who have character, who hate a bribe, and let them lead. We have a word for it. It's called delegation. You build the team. You share the load. He never said, ask for volunteers, and if people sign up, give them a job. He said, recruit them, appoint them over groups, a 1, 150, 10, Let them solve the common disputes and then bring the major decisions to you. Why? So that you can continue to teach and give them instructions. When we try as leaders to do everything, we neglect the main thing. Same thing happened in the early church. Acts chapter 6 says the 12 apostles were trying to do all the ministry by themselves. And as a result, some of the widows in the feeding program were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. It was not intentional, but when disciples try to do everything, they're neglecting the main thing, which for them was study, prayer, devotion, teaching. There are some things that spiritual leaders cannot delegate And so they had a little come to Jesus in the church. They shared the concern with the body. The church elected seven people, seven men who feared God, trustworthy, hated dishonest gain. There it is again. So that the apostles could dedicate themselves to prayer and teaching. And everybody wins. The widows are fed. The people are employed. And the apostles stick to their primary task. Now, all of that says to me that in transitions, we may have to slow down before we speed up. But when you do, your ministry will increase. It may not be how it was, it may be different, but it may even be better, deeper. And needs will be met, and people will grow, and God will be praised. In between. Let me give you this example and I'm finished. I'll try to make it simple. I don't know if I've told you or not, but we have a grandson. He'll be 12 years of age come November 27th. He's 11 months old, almost. He's in the scooting stage of life. Uh, We saw him recently and his mother calls him a human mop because he could just clean any floor he was in the scooting stage, which meant, this is a little bit later, which meant that everything he did in getting around was with his arms and hands. And I'm telling you, when he scoots, he scoots like a boss. He can go all over the place uh, just using his arms and hands. But in this picture, as you can see, he's discovered his knees and his feet. And what happened is when he goes from scooting to crawling, he actually went slower at first because he had to educate his knees and his feet a little bit. He wasn't used to that. And so he's a faster scooter, but now that he's employing his knees and feet, he's learning to crawl. And that's really, really important. Otherwise, he'd be a scooter all of his life. I mean, picture this, he's 25 years of age, he's getting married and he's scooting to the altar. That's not gonna happen. And so he's discovered his knees and hands. And so now he's beginning to crawl and he's becoming even more mobile than he was as a scooter. And as I watched him, I thought to myself, here's here's what's going on. You have to scoot before you crawl and, and you have to crawl before you walk. And if you can't walk, you can't run. And if you can't run, you can't escape your mother. And you will never grow up. And what's true of physical formation? That's true of spiritual formation. You have to grow up. We've got to learn to involve all the body parts, all of us. If the greater mission is to be accomplished, every part of the body has a role to play. And when we're able to do that, we keep the main thing, the main thing. I have no idea where you are this morning. Maybe you scooted into church. You almost didn't come. You may kind of wish you hadn't, but you're here. Some of you are scooting, some of you are crawling, some of you are walking, but I think, I think God wants us to learn to run. And I'm hearing the voice of Paul in my head right now in Philippians 3.12, listen to what he says. I do not consider myself to have arrived. I'm still in between. But this one thing I do, forgetting yesterday and straining forward to what lies ahead, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I am off and running and I am not turning back. And we're not running alone. (laughs) And therein lies our deliverance. And my prayer is that it will be so for you, for me, for us, to the glory of God, for the witness of the main thing in Jesus. Amen.